Hi, it's Matt Kirkner, your host for the Tech Ed Podcast, and welcome to the second part of our two-part series with Marquette University's president, Dr. Michael Lovell. In the last episode, we talked about how cross-disciplinary teams accelerate innovation. If you haven't yet listened to that episode with Dr. Lovell, we definitely encourage you to check it out. In this podcast, we will explore how Marquette's Jesuit tradition influences the way in which Marquette adapts for the future, how regional institutions of higher education are collaborating rather than competing in today's education marketplace, and whether and how it matters that Marquette is located in the heart of urban Milwaukee. All of this and more in part two. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. The Higher Education Regional Alliance is something that's near and dear to Marquette, launched here in the last several years with your institution and a number of other educational institutions around Southeast Wisconsin. Tell us about the mission of HERA and how it benefits Marquette University. Yeah. So again, when we think about what the future of higher ed looks like, it's clear to me that we're going to have unprecedented collaboration between academic institutions and the corporate sector going forward. And again, we need to be more efficient and more effective. And a lot of times you get that by collaborating or by not duplicating things that some of your peers may be doing and finding your own niche areas and then sharing resources. And so what here is really about is finding ways we can be more effective as higher ed institutions in the region to help the region be more successful. And much of that is around workforce development. Much of that is around, again, finding ways to collaborate so that we can be more efficient on our own campuses and drive down the costs of education within our own institutions by finding unique ways to work with others. And I can just give you an example. Just this week, we had a conversation with UWM and and MSOE about really developing what we'll call non-traditional education programs for the corporate sectors. This would be non-credit bearing educational programs, things like badges and other things where between the three institutions, we can put together some very, very unique and quite frankly, some very rich non-credit bearing programs to allow someone who's in the field that wants to either move to another field or gain a deeper knowledge without going through two-year graduate program to get certified and become an expert in a certain niche area. And so, you know, I believe that we're going to move fairly quickly down that path. And that discussion started at HERA. HERA really has three different areas we're focused on. The first is ensuring that the pipeline into higher ed is going to be there. And then secondly, is you know ensuring that what we can offer the students for the region will retain and help them graduate as quickly as possible. Four years. The last piece is helping them with their career, so allowing them to see the opportunities that are here in the Milwaukee region and aligning the students with the needs of the industry so that, that we are not tone deaf to what the workforce needs of the future will be for employers, that really we're ensuring that we're very well aligned where the future is going. So really a holistic approach to higher education from making sure that there is a pipeline of individuals entering the institutions of higher education here in Southeast Wisconsin, 
uh, making sure that those students are retained once they're there and that they complete their degrees and, and complete their pathway. And then once they're in the workforce, making sure that we're supporting them as they develop their careers. So great work being done by HERO without question. Again, another example, a great example of collaboration for the benefit of Southeastern Wisconsin and for the benefit of the city of Milwaukee. You've talked a bit, Dr. Lovell, about some of the challenges that the city of Milwaukee faces. You referenced earlier poverty, education, healthcare, just economic stability for certain communities within the greater community of Milwaukee. I want to talk now just about some of the challenges of being an urban university. Earlier this year, Dr. Mark Money, who's a mutual friend of of both of ours, the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin, followed you as chancellor, by the way, at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, And Dr. Mone talked quite a bit about the unique aspects of leading an urban institution. Some might even argue that the challenge is even more acute for Marquette, given your location within the city of Milwaukee. What challenges and opportunities does Marquette's urban location present for you as president of the institution? I want to take a step back to the the history of Jesuit universities from the foundation of St. Ignatius. He founded the first Jesuit university at a time when there were other universities, such as the University of Paris, that were training people for professions to be either priest, training to be a lawyer, training to be doctors. And what St. Ignatius wanted to found the Jesuit schools on was training individuals that are going to improve the communities that they were in. And so we try to stay true to that original mission of the founding of Jesuit schools. We want to produce individuals that are going to improve the communities that we're located in. If you look at Jesuit schools across the world, most of them Almost all of them are located in urban environments for a reason that we want to be part of the community and actually find ways to make our communities better. And so one of the things that I'm very proud of about Marquette and one of the things that I'm drawn to Marquette because we really do want to use our talents, you know, as our resources to help make Milwaukee a better city. And so we don't have to go very far from our campus, just a few short blocks from our campus to see some areas of the city that quite frankly face many, many challenges. And so as we think about ways that we are going to improve Milwaukee, it's really not saying we're going to go in and and solve other people's problems. We want to do this really in partnership with the community, come in and let them help us determine the best way that they can overcome the challenges that they're facing and and have us really put our resources behind helping them lift themselves up. And so one of the big initiatives that I've been involved with now, it's now in its seventh year, is the Near West Side Partners and really finding ways to transform the community that we are located in going west out to 35th Street. And that has been a great example, again, of, of ways that we are partnering with Harley-Davidson and Miller Coors and Potawatomi and Aurora as the five main anchors of really making the community that we're in a better place. I know that entire corridor and, and certainly the focus that you and your other partners are putting on that is welcome and I think is going to make a significant difference as you live out the vision of St. Ignatius to improve the communities that your universities are in, that Jesuit schools are in. And clearly Marquette has an incredible commitment to that vision. Just a couple examples. You've been involved with the Commons, Scale Up Milwaukee, Milwaukee Succeeds. These are all organizations whose missions are to solve Milwaukee's social economic challenges, educational challenges, and so on. Tell us about some of the unique socioeconomic challenges you see, Dr. Lovell, in Milwaukee, and why is it that you're so passionate about solving them? Well, first of all, I'll answer the second question is that Milwaukee will never reach its potential if we don't address the disparities that we see across our city. And to do that, we need to give individuals the opportunity to be successful. And, and I will just say 
that there are many people within our community that there are barriers for them being successful in, in their lives, in all aspects of their lives. And when you think about an organization such as Milwaukee Succeeds, it is really to try to level the playing field so that individuals, no matter where they grow up, they have the opportunity to have a great education. And as you know, currently, that really isn't the case in Milwaukee. There's certain zip codes in certain areas of the city. If you grow up in, your likelihood for success is significantly lower than others. And so I think it's very, very important that we provide education opportunities for our young people. We provide health care at an equal level across all citizens of Milwaukee. And, and we find ways to provide economic opportunities for individuals to be successful. And we really do have a long way to go in, in Milwaukee. I think if you look at lists of some of the challenges that cities like the same size of Milwaukee face, we are typically somewhere near the bottom of all those lists. So as much as we face challenges, I look at those opportunities to change and improve. And if we are innovative and creative, I believe that we can become a model for how we can do this across the country. And again, I, I want to point back to the North Side Partners. The number of awards that we've won nationally, you know, for the work that we've done there, it's really been something I've been very, very proud of. And the reason why, again, that we've become a national model is the level of collaboration that the anchors and the other institutions within your side have done in working together. And I often describe the very beginning of when we started, I I remember we have a center for peacemaking here on campus that has done law work in the West Side. And we had their interns say, okay, they kind of put a dot where all the institutions in the near West Side were located. And I said, draw two blocks around each of the institutions because, you know, we have not just the five anchors, but a lot of other institutions that are important to the near West Side. And when they did a two block radius around each of those institutions, 80% of the near West Side was covered. And so now one of our institutions would can completely transform the, the nearby side. But if we all just improve the two blocks around where we were located, suddenly, you know, we're making a huge impact. And that's really the approach that we've taken. And and it's just there's been some successes that we've seen through that collaboration. And so when I think about how we can address the whole city, it's really going to be through a, a similar approach. But it, it's very important, I, I do want to say, is that if we've worked on the neuro side, the first thing that we did is we engaged the citizens and the, the people who live there to understand the challenges and their ideas of how to address those challenges. Because really, it's, it's arrogant to go in and think you're going to solve somebody else's problems. You need to have those conversations because I think they, what I found was community-based organizations and citizens in those neighborhoods really understands, you know, what the needs are. So listening first, obviously so important in the work that the Near West Side Partners has done as it looks to break down barriers, as it looks to, as you put it, level the playing fields and neighborhoods throughout the city of Milwaukee. I agree. We will never reach our potential as a city unless we can knock those barriers down and level the playing fields for everyone, give everybody the same access to opportunity. And so really, really important work being done there. Your philanthropic work, your volunteer work uh, extends beyond uh, near West Side Partners as well. You and your wife, Amy, started Scaling Wellness in Milwaukee, also known as SWIM. The purpose of that organization is to help heal trauma in the city of Milwaukee. What inspired you and Amy to launch this organization and tell us about some of the good work being done here in Milwaukee through SWIM? We're now, I think, four or five years down the path with SWIM, which is hard to believe time goes so fast. This really came about through an understanding that one of the root problems that we face in Milwaukee 
has been generational trauma that citizens have faced. And we all know that, first of all, trauma is everywhere. It's not just in the inner city. It's people experience trauma across every demographic. And there was some work done by Nadine Burke Harris out in California, where she really elevated something called the ACE score, which is adverse childhood experience. It's 10 questions and you answer yes or no to 10 questions. And individuals that have an ACE score of two or higher have a less likelihood of success. And if you have four or higher, it's a very low likelihood of success. But Nadine Burke Harris found is that if you address that trauma that individuals face either or facing as a child, we've learned that the brain there's a lot of plasticity and you can actually change pathways and you can take some of the trauma that you've experienced that may have negative reactive tendencies to actually be more healthy and positive. And because if, if you have high A scores, your likelihood of not only disease, such as, you know, heart disease and diabetes and other things, your higher rate of addictive alcohol or drugs, those things go way up if not addressed. If you address them, you can change the trajectory of people's lives. And so one of the things that we wanted to do here in Milwaukee is we wanted to actually elevate the understanding of how important addressing trauma is for individuals and ultimately also try to eliminate some of the trauma that people within our community face. And this really started, we were at, we had a panel here at Marquette where we had people from healthcare, from the DA's office, from education, from you know economics, some of our researchers that were talking about, again, those disparities that we faced. What struck me was each of them talked ultimately when they drew everything back, much of the core of the disparities in Milwaukee, the roots are based in trauma. And so if we address the trauma, that would be an important step of helping, again, getting you know, Milwaukee healthier. Addressing the trauma. And it's interesting, you know, that you bring up the term plasticity. As we age, it may be more difficult to change habits and may be more difficult to get over some of the trauma that we experienced earlier in life, but not impossible. Credit both to you and Amy for your great work in, in helping individuals find ways to make a better life, find ways to make a better Milwaukee. Our guest today Dr. Michael Lovell, Marquette University's 24th president here on the Tech Ed Podcast. We're going to turn now to talking a bit about trends in education. Dr. Lovell, I've read numerous, numerous articles over the years of your views on how higher education needs to change, and I'm really excited to, to enter this part of our discussion with you. Let's start here. STEM and technology-based careers, they've seen massive growth in recent years. Employers are urging schools to expand their STEM programs, and we're big advocates for STEM here at the Tech Ed Podcast, but we also encourage students to pursue the path that's right for them. How do you find balance as a liberal arts university between the trend towards STEM and the traditional emphasis and importance on liberal arts at a university like Marquette? We know that many of the jobs of the future are going to be tech-based, maybe professional-based, but if we just train individuals in their technical fields, we're doing them an extreme disservice because the jobs are changing at an unprecedented pace. And if we don't train individuals to be creative, be problem solvers, to work in teams, and to communicate with one another, they won't be successful because their job will change and they'll be left behind. And so I think there's going to be a huge revival of liberal arts in the humanities because those fields are what you're trained to be creative. And I talk about even myself, the most important class that I had in college was a philosophy of religion class, even though I was an engineer, because, and in the engineering world, it was black and white. There was a right or wrong answer. Well, life, as you know, 
there's very few times there's an exact right or wrong answer. There's always gray and you have to discern the best possible direction based on this set of circumstances. And so I think that as we think about what the jobs are in the future, it's great that we're training computer scientists and data scientists and engineers and people in the healthcare system, but we don't provide them with that strong liberal arts humanities background as well. As their fields evolve, which we know they're going to evolve, they may not be able to adapt and be resilient and grow the ways that they need to. It's interesting as I think back on my time at Marquette University and people ask from time to time, you know, what were some of your favorite classes while you were going to school? And I routinely point back to certainly my business classes, but we were required to take nine credits of theology, nine credits of philosophy. And I still, I remember those professors probably as well, if not better than I do my business professors and the things I learned in those courses. So really, really interesting observation on the value of a liberal arts education and how it helps you to think about how we communicate. And I think in a lot of ways, think about how your decisions, whether as as an engineer, a business person, both affect other people. Speaking of my business degree and my time in the business school at Marquette, Marquette is constructing a new $60 million 100,000 square foot business school building on the site of the former McCormick Hall. I have some stories from that from that facility as well that we won't share on the Tech Ed podcast. We talk a lot about how the advent of data analytics and artificial intelligence affect what our STEM students need to know as they enter the workforce. Do these affect how our business school students prepare for their careers as well? Of course. And we think about how do we prepare our business students for the future? And I think, as you just pointed out, technology is becoming more and more important part of the way the, the world is going. And so as we think about how we train our business students and actually prepare a facility that is going to need to be flexible, that's one of the things we're really focusing on is preparing a business school for the future. And it's not going to be looking like a traditional classrooms and spaces that we would have in a building that we maybe built 40 or 50 years ago. And things like artificial intelligence are going to play a, a huge role when we think about business analytics. We think about things like supply chain. We have some very unique things that we're doing at Marquette around sales and real estate programs, but we're looking at it, doing it in a way that has an eye towards the future. And so it'll be, to be honest with you, it's going to be the first business building in the country that will open up post-pandemic. And so what does that mean? Well, we learned a lot during the pandemic about what the future looks like. And so we feel very well informed about what the new facility will be compared to maybe what a traditional building would look like. The first business building in the United States post-pandemic to open up, that'll be exciting to look for. And really enjoyed some of your reflections on artificial intelligence, business analytics, supply chain, sales and real estate as well, Dr. Lovell. For sure, we feel the same way here at the Tech Ed Podcast, that those will be very, very important competencies for students, certainly at the university level in business schools and across multiple disciplines to become aware of and know as they're moving through their educational journey. And as you plan for the future of the business program at Marquette University and planning for the future of the university as a whole. I love a quote that I saw in a Wisconsin public radio interview last December in which you stated, and like the original Jesuits who walked with one foot raised, we have to adapt for a successful future. Can you explain this analogy for our audience and also share some of the challenges that you see ahead for Marquette University? What are the key ways in which Marquette must adapt for its successful future? For those of you who are not as familiar with the Jesuits, you know, I just read a book called Ignatian Humanism, and it, it outlined the journey from the last three, four hundred years that six Jesuits who transformed society, their approach and the technique, and each of them 
took a much different approach to how they they transform society based on the circumstances that they were in. Well, today we have to look at the reality of higher education. Heading into the pandemic, even before pandemic hit, people were questioning the value of higher education, wondering if it cost too much, were we training people in the right ways? And the skills that they were developed, were they the need skills for the future? And so when you, you're in your situation where people are questioning the cost and the value of your product, you're heading down a, a bad path. And that's where we were pre-pandemic. And so coming out of the pandemic, we went through a disruption and now we're going to be in a period of turbulence where things are going to fall out. So we think about what the future of higher ed looks like. Well, we've talked already. We know where jobs are going. We also know that liberal arts humanities are extremely important. And we also know that breaking down some of the silos and having much cross-disciplinary type work for our, our students is really where the future lies. And so when we think about all the things that we've learned, we've learned how to pivot you know, very quickly into a digital platform. So how does the new digital future merge with some of the, the needs and skills that our, our students are going to need to produce? I think higher ed is going to be much different. And by the way, I believe kind of this digital transformation was also going to drive down the cost for consumers, our students, and their families. And so, so we want to think about how we will serve new and different populations. And again, we, I've alluded to this once before, people out in the workforce are going to constantly need to reskill going forward again, because we talk about how fast jobs are changing. And we also need to address kind of non-traditional students. So we, we're going to serve our traditional population, but really with the opportunity, I believe, in the future, as we think about what will, will it be graduates or certificates or, or other ways we can build competence for people that are already in the workforce, maybe have families and would need a different type of experience. So it's going to be just fascinating to watch, certainly the focus on non-traditional students, the way that uh, we educate people, not just through their traditional educational journey, but beyond. And as we continue to become lifelong learners, as technology such as digitization continues to affect the way that we educate our students, it's going to be really fascinating to watch. And I did appreciate your observation on being extremely innovative, but also being realistic about the times in which we're living in and making sure that that innovation is is targeted toward a new age and that we're looking to the future. So I want to talk for just a moment about a high school sophomore looking to the future. If you could give a high school sophomore, Dr. Lovell, one piece of advice as they pursue their future pathway, what would that piece of advice be? Well, when I think about successful individuals and successful organization, the key quality that they have is is around resilience and to be able to adapt. One thing I would always say, it's very important to try new things and it's actually important to fail and to learn and to grow from those experiences. And so if I'm looking at a high school sophomore, my wife, Amy, has a little plaque on the mirror in our bathroom that I look at every day and it says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And so I want to challenge students to try and pursue new things that get them out of their comfort zone. And it's it's not necessarily, we talk about it's not how many times you fall down, it's how many times you get up. And successful people that can try new things and that adaptability is something that we all need, even me today. I need to continue to learn and grow by trying and doing new and different things. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And certainly this whole idea of making sure that our young people are resilient as they move on through life and that quality of resilience so very important. Dr. Lovell, we've had such a wonderful conversation with you here today. We've covered a lot of ground for everything from resilience and suggestions for high school sophomores. We talked about your new business school, the advent of things like artificial intelligence and data analytics, and also the important Jesuit tradition. So very important to Marquette, the focus on the combination and the convergence between STEM and liberal arts. Just a, a wonderful and fantastic conversation. I want to thank you for joining us on the Tech Ed Podcast. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Matt. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.